Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with Stevel and Robot on the Cycling Independent. Episode 7, Mental Health. We have, a lot of talk, we have a lot to talk about in regard to mental health, but before we get into anything, I have to... Uh, what's, it, what's it called? The thing that I'm... The content warning. Content warning. Um, uh, we use bad words uh, pretty regularly. Frequently. We, we might not... Uh, we might not have uh we might have opposing perspectives to to you and if you have delicate sensibilities change the channel well, let's get on with it i, I like the idea that we're a channel that can be changed i like I, that's like that definitely you just, just go to the other part of the internet you know give us the there's button. like there's so much yeah. of it yeah okay so so mental health, this is a tough topic, but it's one I think we both believe in discussing as much as possible. Certainly in our private conversations, it's something we talk about constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this was like one of the first, I was kind of in the, in the throes of some shit the first time we talked on the phone with each other. And I don't think I, at that point, I don't think I'd left my house in a few days. I mean, granted, uh, it's been a pretty rocky couple years and I was tired I was just really, just really tired. And um, so it was interesting that, that, that we should actually confer on the topic in the midst. It of was my, our first, our first yeah. actual conversation, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if I listened you down off the, off the ledge. Well, it, it wasn't so much a, a, I mean, because I was super tired and I knew that, you know, like I would, I just needed to, rest. I didn't have energy to do anything and my head hurt because I'd been basically living on cortisol and adrenaline for the last several months, not knowing where I was going to move and not knowing how I was going to get there. And so I was pretty maxed out emotionally, uh, you know, and then I finally got to a place where like I felt safe and I, I, I'd kind of landed, you know? Um, and so uh, it was nice to have, cause I hadn't really gotten, uh, my own sort of array of therapists or, or, or assistance in place at that point. So it was nice to have, a, uh, an ear, sort of an unobjective ear, I guess, which was one you. of those coincidences. Yeah. Yeah. It was good timing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, mental health, man. Uh, everybody needs, I think everybody needs as much mental health support. I think everybody needs to be in therapy. I wish that everyone was in therapy. I think there's a real stigma attached to being in therapy. Um, But this is the analogy that I gave a friend of mine who was at one point, he was sort of dragging his feet and saying that he didn't, you know, I think he was kind of, uh, he was sort of aligning with the perspective that if you are in therapy, you are somehow flawed. And 
Hmm. I looked at it as, you know, you spend a life developing uh, or amassing a set of tools and the say, for example, you are an expert at fixing cars or, you know, internal combustion and you have all of these tools and you can fix anything with a motor. And then a friend of yours comes along and says, hey, uh, you got a bunch of tools. You're pretty handy. Uh, Can you help me fix a refrigerator? And you're like, well, uh, no. I mean, yeah, but that's not my field of expertise. Hmm. And so what therapy does is it helps you develop a broader set of tools. So you you can know yourself, you know, inside and out to a degree, but then you get thrown into a totally different situation or you face family death or you face, you know, any of these things that we're like ill-equipped to deal with because maybe we haven't dealt with it very much. And then you're fucked. Then you don't, then you don't have the resources, you know, and it's nice to get into this process before you find yourself, you know, before you have to. Right. That's what I think. Well, as someone who found himself there because he had to, I can tell you that definitely it would have been better. You know, I, I learned so much later in my life about how to navigate these things. <clears throat> yeah, and same. I had been trying to navigate them for a really long time. And someone, someone eventually said to me, Uh, You know what? If you were going to fix yourself, you probably would have done it by now, right? Assuming that you could fix yourself. Assuming Assuming I had those tools, tools. you know, to use your to use your metaphor. Yeah. Assuming I had those tools, you know, it's not like I needed to get places and I knew how to fix the car. I just never bothered. You Mm -hmm. know, I just I really didn't know how to fix the car. Yeah. And and the the the. There were two big impetuses. Impetuses? Is that a word? Impeti? Impeti? Is that plural for impetus? I, I don't know. Impotent? Let's say impeti. Uh, it's all in the neighborhood. There were two big things for me. One was I had to, this is early, early, I had to stop drinking because uh, I was forgetting my own name. And then, but that seemed pretty straightforward. That was like a live or die decision. You know, mm-hmm. like continue and die or stop and live and stop and live seemed the obvious choice. But <laughs> I but I was still, you know, as mentally ill as I was before. And it was only later, like after my maybe maybe after my first or second kid was born and my wife said, you know, is this the kind of dad you want to be? Well, oh. and I was like and she didn't say it in a like judgy way. Yeah, she wasn't like mad at me. I was talking about my depression and she was like, is this. You seem reluctant to get help, but is this. It's not just you in this game. Right. It's not just about your own suffering. Like we're we're good at we're good at our own suffering. Even, you know, even if it really sucks, we're good at that. It's just, you know, at some point at that point, I cottoned on to the fact that I was getting it all over everybody around me. And that gave yeah. me a little bit more. That's a motivator. It is. It is. And then. Then I had a guy to say I met a guy, a social worker, and he pretty much sized me up right away. 
And then he said the most annoying thing I've ever heard a person say that was also correct. He said, you know what might help you? And I said, what's that? And he said, some help. (laughs) Great. And I wanted to, I really wanted to burn him with my eye lasers, but he, he was right. And like, then he introduced me to all these people who could actually help me. It's such a, it's such a huge step to take to realize that there's validity there, you know, like you can, you can feel it and you can see it, but then the, the minute that you like accept it, um, whether or not you take steps to find therapists, cause that's a whole other shit show to find somebody to talk to. And there's, you know, there's talk therapy and there's drug therapy and there's somatic healers and there's spiritual healers and there's life coaches and there's all these different. So you, you know, it, you're throwing mud at a wall because there really aren't resources, a lot of resources readily available. And especially after the last four and a half years, like therapists are dropping like flies because everybody's stressed out because of, you know, politically, socially, environmentally. Right. Um, so you find somebody that you think you trust and then you spill your entire beans, entire set of beans, entire plate of beans, all, all of, your, of beans, your beans. And your bean maybe they're not the one, you know? And yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. All right, I had cool, that experience. Well, yeah. I think anybody does. I mean, if you find somebody out of the gate that you totally click with. Right. Uh, you're insanely lucky. But, you know, don't be deterred because that's part of the that's part of the process. What sucks. What what really worked for me immediately, because once I decided, once I gave up on fixing myself and was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get help. I wanted all the help right away. I was like, yeah, uh, this guy was like, I can put you in touch with a psychopharmacologist. I can get you in a group therapy group. Uh, You can meet one on one with a therapist. And uh, what worked really well for me right away was get to get in a room with a bunch of other, in my case, men uh, who were addicts and depressive. And, you know, some of them had some of them had things to share, like tools that were good right out of the gate. But, you know, what was great was just to be in a room of people who were like, sitting in the same um, variety of feces that I was Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) and have them describe it and, and just not feel, not feel alone in it. Uh, So that was super helpful. I did learn a lot from some of those guys. Um, And uh, the one-on-one therapy with the professional didn't go well, didn't click and was discontinued quickly. And then the psychopharmacology is a um, is a tough thing to navigate because I don't think um, you know there's things there are drugs out there that can help you with some of your issues, but the it's not a precise science. You know, it's the same as like you don't know what's in someone else's head. So when you talk to someone, even who's a professional, they're guessing at what's going on with you and they're throwing mud at the wall too. So 
and you're dealing with brain chemistry, which is, is fluid, you know, like it's mm. never the same. You're never the same chemically, yeah. physically. And, you know, do you want to burn a month trying a new prescription and then the trying the pills that counteract the side effects of the initial prescription and all of that? Like right. that's a real stumbling block for me. And I've tried, I'm continuing to try anything besides the pharmaceutical route. Um, but I think, t t uh, I was thinking when you were talking about sitting with a other group of men, and I hope that there are an equal number of men and women listening to this. But, uh, one thing that I have recognized as a man is that there's a real stigma attached to helping yourself or talking, um, you know, suicide rates for men, our age are like. It's like mm. 75% or something it's, I don't remember the statistics, but, um, it's a inordinately high number of middle-aged men who are killing themselves on a regular basis. And yeah, uh, I'm keenly aware that we're in the danger zone. Nobody really talks about it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, not wanting to be a statistic, I, and sort of being forced into it, uh, because of various life circumstances. Like this is something that I'm still cutting my teeth in, but the pharmaceutical route, not off the table, uh, maybe just sort of a last resort for now. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want to do that. Or I always said to myself, if I would never do the pharmaceutical route without also pursuing, uh, you know, talk therapy or, you know, some of the other things I didn't want to just take a pill. Right. In the end, I had good luck with the pharmaceutical route, or at least I have a tolerable path. So I do take a um, an SSRI uh, that at a very low dose that, you know, for people out there who are curious about them and haven't taken them, um, it's not the case that they make you happy, giggly, everything's wonderful all the time. I just I describe it as uh, I don't wake up like negative 10 on the on the on the mood and mental health scale, which is what I used to do. I used to wake up every morning, open my eyes and think, fuck. <laughs> and now I wake up and I open my eyes and I'm just level. Good things can happen. Bad things are happen, but uh, can happen. But I don't start in the deficit. So everything's manageable. Yeah, uh, I got a shot. You know what I mean? Like, I think I feel like the 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 drug gives me a shot at just having a normal day. Hmm. Uh, side effects. Well, uh, initially, I was on a higher dose. There were sexual side effects. Um, I don't you know. had a boner all day long, every day. Well, um, is that unusual? Touche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, uh, well, let's say I had trouble. Uh, I had no trouble uh, beginning a project, but I had difficulty finishing the project. Got it. Okay. Um, I think, I think that's a, I mean, that's an important component to all of this as well. I, I wish that, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, I had a seizure. Well, it wasn't like a full blown convulsion thing, but I just kind of like 
fainted and it was the third that I'd had in my life. And so I was seeing a neurologist and he gave me a prescription and I read the side effects and it was like everything from chronic migraines to death. And I was like, man, why can't the pharmaceutical industry with all their trillions of dollars make a pill and the side effects or something like, you know, increased rhythmic ability or <laughs> like, you know, prone to giggling, your hair will grow back or right, you, right. you'll be extra tan or you know, it is funny that, yeah, the, the <laughs> symptoms do all seem to be side effects do all seem to be kind of on the negative side of the spectrum. Yeah. Users are 4% more likely to get handsome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd take that. Yeah. I need all the help I can get. Well, you know, the thing about the side effects, there's a point where, for me, there was a point where I could not be depressed anymore. I couldn't, I didn't really care about the side effects. That's a unique, that's my unique, whatever. I was sort of like, I don't, I don't care. Eventually I worked that out. You know, I, I changed dosages. I did, I went through the rigmarole to get it right. So I'm not in that situation anymore, but for me, it's a lot like getting, uh, when people first get sober, you know, the thing is just to stop creating damage. Mm-hmm. It was the same for me with depression. Like I did not care. Like I could have grown a fucking horn out of the side of my head. That might've been one of the side side effects. And I'd have been like, okay, a horn. Yeah. Just got to get different hats. I just need to stop being in mental anguish. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I get it. Uh, and as this relates to bicycles, I think, you know, since this is the, the fundamentally, this is a, a bicycle flavored podcast. Mm. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, you and I are both in the bicycle industry in some capacity. And a lot of people always say, you know, like you can like a ride will fix anything, right? Like mm. go on a ride, clear your head. Ride will make you happy. Riding makes you happy. Riding solves all problems and i in my take uh, a ride is a nice distraction but but i don't think that um it's never it's never fixed everything like the problems are the problems are still there when i get home yeah it's only part of a complete breakfast right 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 yeah i think i think um riding you know exercise is antidepressant for me, but I'm not able to get all the way, everything I need from just doing that. No, it is. a. I mean, it's a good route for what uh, dopamine. Like I actually went yeah. to see a chiropractor yesterday. Um, uh, what was his name? Mark Noble, I believe here in town. And he does energy work on type of, on top of chiropractic work. It's really interesting. Like he's a super fascinating guy. Um, but he was talking about holding trauma in your body. Like mm. I have chronically fucked up wrists yeah. and my left wrist, he, he basically it's like a side effect of neurological stuff. According to his theory, I think. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. Um, uh, 
But he was talking about, you know, it's not the adrenaline from riding that uh, my wrists and all of that, uh, as an aside, he was talking about adrenaline not being necessarily the ma- the, the primary mo- motivator uh, when it comes to riding, but it's the dopamine that happens yeah. in tandem, I guess, with the adrenaline. Yeah, I don't don't think adrenaline, I mean, people talk about adrenaline all the time. I don't think adrenaline is what you want. I don't think uh, you would ever choose, like, ah, I'm an adrenaline junkie. junkie." I don't think you are. I think you're a dopamine junkie. I think the adrenaline is the rocket ship that takes you to dopamineville. Yeah. Yeah. And so with depression, or as a side effect of uh, meth use, I understand you lose the ability to create dopamine. Right. And, um, yeah, so don't do meth. That's one lesson. That's one takeaway. Right. Um, but when you have chronic depression, you, uh, you physiologically don't possess the ability to create proper amount. Is that right? I believe that's right. So the, that's the premise behind the, uh, reuptake inhibitors, basically the, the receptors in your brain that would take serotonin and dopamine out of this, out of circulation. Yeah. So the reuptake inhibitors basically keep your body from absorbing and getting rid of what few stores of that you have. Can you There's supplement? no science getting harmed in this podcast, people. We're not doctors. <laughs> Can you supplement with dopamine? Can one supplement with dopamine? Um, I don't know. You mean, I mean actual, like, somebody inject be, dopamine between my eyeballs? I guess it would be synthesized dopamine or dopamine that's right. harvested from, what, the dopamine gland? Jesus Christ, I really should have done some reading before we started today's. I just, I'm just thinking of the, uh, the big black song, El Dopa, uh-huh. which is about this, I think. Is Everything it? we know about, <laughs> about <laughs> dopamine, we learned from a the noise rock record made ago. in 1988. Jesus. I, I, I think I know stuff until I start talking about it and then I realize yeah. I really I don't. Well, this is, this is the part of what makes, I think, talking about mental health tough is that you and I have stories we can tell about what we've done and haven't done and what works and what hasn't worked, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. we're not, as with all of the episodes of this show, we, we're going to solve no problems. Well, I think you, you, you say that we say that in jest to a degree, but I also think talking about it and being two people who wear their struggles on their sleeves Right. You know, I've been pretty public about what I've gone through over the last two years on all hail the black market. And I have heard from a number of people um, who simply offer thanks for being vulnerable about it, I guess. Um, I did say at one point, like, uh, you know, making the stuff that I've dealt with and my struggles and some real fucking low lights, man. I mean, it's been like, it's been a motherfucker. Um, but not hiding from any of that and, and yeah. allowing strangers 
a glimpse inside. Uh, I said at one point, I was like, this is hands down. This is the punkest thing I've ever done because I'm taking just as I have always done with my own mental uh, or intellectual shortcomings, say, for example, like taking it out on myself before anybody else had an opportunity to. Like if I allow all of my vulnerabilities, if I wear all of my vulnerabilities and all of this stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with, make that public. I wear it all on my sleeve. What the fuck are you going to do with it? You know, I've already made it known that I'm, I'm barely treading water, you know? So if you take advantage of that, you're the piece of shit. (laughs) I'm just the one out here. Like I'm just being me. That said, people have reached out and in pretty high numbers and said, yeah, I'm dealing with some shit too. And the fact that you are okay with this, you're not hiding from it and you're not hiding it from, from people has helped me address the fact that I need, I need to, um, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to be, um, to be upside down to think you know yourself and think you know your your motivators and how you're wired and then suddenly you realize you're almost an entire you know there's a whole part of you that's a stranger to yourself um so while maybe not so we haven't solved anything or i haven't solved anything i think we've made the discussion accessible and that you know that's that's huge yeah no that's right i think that's right i think um I think that is what I don't want to be. And this is, uh, this, you know, gets back to like our first conversation under no circumstances. Do I want to be full of shit? And there's a level on which I keep these secrets about, Oh, I'm depressed or I'm hurting or I'm whatever. And as long as I keep that a secret, I'm full of shit because Mm -hmm. I'm presenting something to people. That's not right. That's not true. Um, and once well, it's you're, out, and you're protecting yourself, and I'm protecting myself. Well. Yeah, which but is I'm normal. also protecting myself from help. I'm also protecting myself from love and support. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I've heard there's the in some of the programs I've participated in. You hear uh, aphorisms like "You're only as sick as your secrets," which is one that I buy. You know, I just kind of think like if I. If I'm a, if I have a foot fetish, you should know about that because then I won't be embarrassed about it because you know about it. It's fine. I, I don't have a foot fetish, but I'm de- plenty weird. I've got plenty of weird shit. Everyone's got plenty of weird shit. The more of your weird shit that you own and you get out there and you let people love you anyway, even though you're weird or you're whatever you think you're mentally weak. This is, what, this is the thing I like you're, to say. I, yeah, I'm mentally weak. You're weird according to them, though. You're weird according to somebody else. That's right. That, yeah, it that doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Once it's out, once it's out, it loses its power over me, right? Because it's mm-hmm. not rattling around between my ears being a source of, um, you know, what's wrong with me. Yeah. So. We should do out. a whole episode on fetishes. <laughs> Mine are super, like, normal. Like, oh. You know, cheerleaders. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like pretty, pretty generic. Yeah, I, mine probably are too. I don't want to think too much on that right now. Leader maids. No, not leader maids. 
<laughs> I was talking <laughs> with somebody the other day that like like uh, the kind of like the kind of women. I don't know. They were asking me like what, what kind of women I was attracted to or something. I was like, I've always been attracted to the kind of women who never wanted anything to do with me. You know, like yeah. cheerleaders, skinhead chicks, um, for whatever reason, like the weird fringe haircut always kind of did it for me. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crayola, <laughs> but, Crayola girls. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not really a fetish. That's just sort of a an appreciation. That might just be part of our living condition. Uh, yeah. Be, being attracted to the people that. Don't want anything to do with you right is that maybe that's just maybe that's just normal human response or it's a flavor of self-loathing like if oh, someone God. if so i'm sorry yeah but if someone love if someone likes me what the fuck's wrong with them because <laughs> i know how terrible i am <laughs> i never really thought about it in, in in that in those terms before but there there might be something there might be something there. If you like me, there's no way I'm going to like you because there's something fundamentally wrong with you. You obviously have bad taste. Oh, have you ever had a relationship not work out because the the other person didn't liked or they they liked bad music? No. Uh. Uh. No. Because that's superficial, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Well. And what's bad music? I mean, it, it like. That was last it, episode. We already covered that. If if I if everything about this person that I was seeing was awesome, loved yeah. everything about them, but they all they listened to was that one four non blonde song, you know that one. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. I think we I think we would just have to not. We would have to not talk. Positive mental health is about creating. You know, sometimes it's about creating the right boundaries for yourself. And I think that's a, that's a valid boundary. How about we just don't listen to music when we're together? Yeah. Or you listen to Four Non Blondes all you want to, but not when I'm around. God, I hate that song. That one. Yeah, you know the one? I do know the one. Hang on a second. There's an ant stuck in my house and I need to put him in a little cup and put him outside. All right. Talk amongst yourself. This so, is really bugging me. Sorry. I'm going to say stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so people say that talking about these things removes the stigma. That's good. I've tried not to shy away from telling people what I've been through and how I've dealt with it. At the same time, I think that, uh, a fundamental piece of mental illness, one of the primary symptoms is it's a symptom of the mental illness that you should keep it a secret. Like the illness is protecting itself. I don't know what the mechanism of that is, but I see it over and over and over again. We see that uh, with suicides. Like I've had friends who have taken themselves out and, you know, the loved ones, the family just they didn't know how bad the person was hurting. Uh, so I think it's it's hard to separate the stigma that suppresses people. From that suppresses the person from the illness itself, um, which also suppresses their ability to connect with other people to get help. So. I'm not entirely sure what I said there. It was probably a rehashing of like, if you're hurting, you got to tell somebody. But what are we talking about? Well, I was just talking about how I think part of mental illness, one of the symptoms is an unwillingness to tell people about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think, you know, socially, like we're ashamed into. Yeah, I don't know know how to people. 
saying like standing on their soapboxes and declaring that you can talk yourself out of depression. It's all about, you know, diet or whatever. Like, but don't we all know those people are assholes? Uh, yeah, but if this is a conversation that you've never had with anybody or it's not a conversation you've had with yourself, like, yeah, I don't know. You don't know. Yeah. Um, when I was, I was thinking about this before we got on the, what uh, the call before we started the today's yeah episode whatever these are called uh when i was in second grade a counselor came to talk to me and he we had a few sessions and i remember him asking me like so your teachers are saying you're depressed what is what are you depressed about and i i remember distinctly telling him that it was because my dog had just died that wasn't where i was depressed but I was telling him what I knew. I was seven fucking years old or whatever. And I'm telling him I'm depressed because my dog died when I didn't really know what he was talking about. Like I well, wasn't depressed because my dog was that had died. This is a very interesting thing. People, because I have been also public about my depression, people have come to me and asked questions about it. Um, you know, some good friends have a, a, a son who, who struggles uh, a bit and they, you know, they want to remove the cause of the depression. And I said to them, look, the thing you have to understand is if your dog dies and you feel bad, that's not depression. You're sad. That's Mm -hmm. totally normal. Mm -hmm. Sadness in reaction to a bad thing is normal. That's fine. Depression is when you feel terrible and sad and there's no cause. You just feel bad. You can invent causes too. Well, if you're, if you know you're feeling something, but nothing's really going wrong, then you go outside. I mean, at least this is what I do is I go outside of the immediate situation and I say, everything's great, but fucking Fukushima is still leaking right? or, you know, the Amazon's still burning or whatever. I'll find something to be depressed about. Somewhere are being mistreated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But that, that's a projection, right? That's like. I can't rationalize why I feel the way I feel. So let me work on that. So it's, In, this, it's a bigger version of me telling the guy that my, it, I was depressed because my dog w- was dead. Exactly. Right. You know, like I had to, I, ha- I have to grab something. I have to invent something. I have to hold on to something that maybe isn't totally intangible as a fundamental reason that I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling instead of just saying like, fuck, I, I don't know. Like, right. I guess it's internal. Yeah. A seven-year-old doesn't say, well, my dopamine levels, my serotonin isn't, ah, yeah. I need, you know, I need the L-dopa. Mm-hmm. Um, and that record hasn't even been made yet. But I think that's important that um, you don't have to have a reason or the reason may not be visible to you. The other, mm-hmm. the other thing that I learned early on was that... Um, for men, a typical expression of depression and or sadness is anger. Yeah. You know, like all of these men, uh, and I, I, this is possible. I've met women who have the same sort of story arc too. So this isn't gender exclusive, but um, so many guys I met were like, yeah, I was in a fucking rage all the time and I was just depressed. That's what it boiled down to because there's really nothing to be angry about. I mean, there is, right? It's endless, but that's not, that's, that's a bullshit way to walk around the planet earth. 
I wonder how much of what we're currently dealing with socially, you know, like that guy who has had like four long guns and 10,000 rounds of ammunition or whatever in Denver, you know, and he was going to do a Vegas style ambush. Right. I don't know, three weeks ago or something. Like the more you hear about those sort of situations or those stories, like how many of these people are just dealing with depression? I mean, how much of what's going on is is because there's just not adequate mental health support in this country. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a level on which consciousness is a curse. Because, you know, um, there's there there are not a lot of animals that I think I, I don't know this for sure, but that go through depression. Mm. They're not self-reflective. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not gazing yeah. at their navels all the time. I've never thought about that. Like depression in animals. I mean, you see you see like yeah, dogs that are sad. Maybe you do. Uh, or is that us anthropomorphic? Anthro, what's the word? Anthropomorphizing dogs. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, without communicating with them, you wouldn't know. Yeah. But, that dog's or you just see, sleepy. <laughs> they're, they're just generally, uh, animals can be kind of listless or whatever. And so you think, and you, right. you've seen, you know, you've seen stories where, where an animal loses their friend or their mate or something. And it's just, and it, like, they're, they're sad. Again, but is sad. that, yeah. Yeah. There's no, the, the sort of, interworkings or the interconsciousness. Um, uh, wait, that's not really what I was trying to say, but right. The difference between depression and, and, and sad, sad from an right. event depressed chronically depressed because. Yeah. Yeah. Just because we, uh, it, I mean, it would be interesting to, to have a, a psychologist or Somebody, you know, enjoying in this conversation. Somebody, <laughs> Somebody smart. Knows, knows what they're talking about. Because this is, I, you know, in all of, all of my years, I've never thought about, uh, I've never thought about it to, to this degree. Or that, or that there's actually a difference between being sad and, and chronic depression or chronic sadness or whatever. I just thought it right. was kind of one and the same. Well, I mean, this is why I, I, I like to, you know, when someone says, when someone's depressed and they say, well, I've been thinking, I, 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 I usually say something to them like, well, cut, cut it out. And it's only partially a joke. You know, for me, a, a, a good strategy when I'm depressed is to focus on doing things and not sitting and thinking Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when I sit and think I am rationalizing how I feel, I'm just like, it's all getting distorted, right? I'm like imbuing little disappointments with massive significance. And that's why I feel bad. And it's just horseshit. It's just better to do laundry than to, to stew on that. Like, it's a different thing if you're going to sit with a professional or someone who you can talk your stuff out with that's directed and focused, but like, to sit with your in your own head and stew on your garbage is you're just going to get garbage stew. I just don't. It sucks and it amplifies things and it amplifies things until you're totally paralyzed. Yeah. Um, thankfully, in the last three months, uh, I've been well, I've been working with a I don't know really what his a guide, I guess. I don't really know what his title would be, but 
we did a bunch of talk therapy and then we did an MDMA journey, um, which was super cool. Um, again, before we started recording, Robot and I were talking about in doing drugs with intention, doing psychedelics with intention, and it sort of changes the it changes the frame of of how your brain responds to the drug. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of studies now being done again with uh, in terms of psychedelics for therapeutic purposes and uh, PTSD therapy and so forth. Um, but I, so I've been working with this guy and then when I got here to town in the, in Bellingham, I found a somatic healer who I've been working with and I've also been doing biofeedback, which is, I'm not exactly sure what happens with, um, with that, but you have like, you have electrodes stuck to your head and it essentially, I think the theory is that it sort of rechannels your neural pathways. So if you have one way of responding and this can lead to, uh, they say that it can, it can, uh, heal injury and tinnitus and ADHD and all of these things. It basically changes the, the way that your brain fires. And, you know, like I said, I'm not opposed to pharmaceuticals, but the people who I've spoken with who have done biofeedback said that it was like, it was like years worth of talk therapy packed into like 10 sessions. And I've said to you several times in the last few months that you're a different person than when we first started talking, whether that's related to the biofeedback or not, I don't know, but. Well, and again, to be fair, when we first started talking, I was totally out of gas, like, Right. You couldn't go backwards. Well, you, uh, you could, uh, but I've had a post-it note. I had little signs, little, um, not post-it notes, but little, um, uh, index cards that I had written deep rest is coming like taped all over my door frames and my door and my studio. And, and that was something that my, my guide had told me, like, as soon as you get out of the situation and as soon as you get out of Oakland and as soon as you are sort of running your own show that it's then that you're going to be able to like really truly exhale. Mm. Um, because I do feel like I've been holding my breath for the last, you know, year and a half. And when I finally got an opportunity that, you know, to find some peace and to find some quiet and to really like begin to assess my situation, it was just, it was like I've been sprinting like that's uh, there's uh, there's so many ways I can describe it that don't adequately cover it. But it, I felt like I had been running as fast as I could for my life for months. And yeah. then when you and I started talking to each other, I had just like I just come to a stop. And I was I was really I mean, to say that I was exhausted isn't is it a. Uh, is an understatement. So yeah, my, my, my perspective on the world around me, my perspective on my situation, my respect, my perspective on the, you know, the idea of doing, having conversations with you, uh, it was all pretty overwhelming because I was barely able to like at that point, I think, honestly, I think, I don't think I'd like gotten out of bed. There was a span where I had got out of bed for like two days. Um, so yeah, I mean, God, I hope I'm a different person than I was when we started talking. <laughs> I was not, I was not doing well at that point. 
I had that, I had a similar moment or break or whatever in March of 2020. And when I say that, people will say, oh, because of the pandemic. And I, I would say, no, the pandemic actually solved most of my problems, or at least it <laughs> gave me a canvas to solve them on mm-hmm. because I had been going full tilt 2019, full, full speed the whole time. I, uh, I was working like crazy. Um, I was dadding like crazy and my dad was in the process of dying. And so in the space in 2019, everyone's like 2020 was a terrible year. I'm like, fuck 2019. Yeah. 2019 was a fucking nightmare. My, my dad died. I watched that happen. My brother got cancer. My mother got cancer. Then my brother died. My mother finally recovered, but, but it was all kind of, it all, my brother died in like the first month the first practical month of the pandemic here. And it was, I, I stopped going to work. I said, I, I, I got it. I'm going to take time out. I can't be at work. And I, everything just stopped. And I just went to bed and got up and like fed myself. And it was a, it was like six weeks of just existing. And it's what I had to do. Cause I was, I was done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. I mean, we're only, you know, I I think as, as sentient beings, we're only, we're wired to only handle so much and whatever that saying is, God doesn't give you more than she thinks you can handle or something along those lines. But man, you know, when you get to the end of your rope and you're like, I can't, no, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't handle any more of this. I'm physically, mentally, emotionally intellectually spiritually not wired to carry this much weight uh it's okay to acknowledge that and it's okay to cut yourself off from the rest of the world for a little while because i think that i think that's powerful i think i i was in an aa meeting one time and a guy (laughs) i couldn't even see him i was so far it was a giant meeting it was not really my jam but i was there i don't I don't even know why I was there that day, but this guy gets up at the microphone and he says, you know, people say you don't get what you want, but you always get what you need. And I'm here to tell you some days you fucking don't, (laughs) you just don't. (laughs) And, and, and you know what? So what? You still got to keep going. And that I'm sure that there were people in the room that were like, oh, no, we're fucked. But I actually took that as like, that's right. Don't set yourself up for the disappointment that the world is going to give you is going to is going to like spoon feed you through your stuff. You'll get most of what you need. Absolutely, you will. There are there are a lot of people who will support you and take care of you and do whatever, but it's not going to keep you from disappointments and Sometimes crashing. Sometimes you're mm-hmm. just going to crash. But but the fucking sun will come out tomorrow. It will. It's gonna. And and that was that was like when I when I watched my dad die, that was the biggest that was the 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 big takeaway that I got. I was like, this sucks. Just watching this guy, just watching him die. Listening to the fucking death rattle, like really just stripped to nothing just watching that 
I thought the only way is forward. That's all there is. This is this is terrible, but time's going to keep going. Yeah. And tomorrow is going to happen. And the day after that is going to happen. And 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 the, this guy's not going to die every day. And sometimes, I found that very powerful. Sometimes you just, you just, you know, t- yeah, tomorrow's going to come, but you're like, man, I, I don't, I can't do, I can't do tomorrow. Yeah. And you don't you have know? to. Like. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you it, do in some capacity or another. But I just think uh, like imagining you in that situation or imagining me in that situation where you just, I remember telling friends it's at some point, you know, over the course of the last whatever, like I'm just, I'm just out of gas. Like I've, I'm out of fight. I'm tired of, I'm tired of getting back up. I'm punch drunk. You know, I said that a lot and I would imagine when you've gone through a, a loss that substan- is as substantial as you did, you get to a point where you just kind of want to go to sleep and not wake up again. You know, I mean, I think maybe we've all experienced that, but those of us who have an intimate relationship with depression, I think know it a little more intimately. Did I just use the word intimate twice in a sentence? I didn't notice. I was, I was deep in it. I was thinking hard about, I was actually thinking about suicidal ideation. Yeah. Which is a term we haven't brought up yet. I don't, man, um, like it's crossed my mind. And a few years ago, I lost a a buddy of mine, killed himself. And I was just the the wake of total shit that happened in his death was enough to quell any idea, fantasy, thought. Because I I said, like, at my my very worst, I don't hate myself more than I love the people around me. Because I saw what what happened to everybody when he died. And I would never put the people around me through that because it was, it's still like the, the shock waves are still happening. You know, I'm never going to be the same again after he did that. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to people, you know? Right. I mean, it's easy. It's, it's, it's a pretty consistent thing to just wish I could disappear you know, I'm okay with that. Or I do remember reading an article about a guy who felt who died in his sleep in my first, my, that like the first thought without even formulating, consciously formulating, it was like, it was envy. Yeah. Like fucking guy. Like how come some guys have all the luck, you know? I mean, I'm past that now, but it's, it's, it's real. Yeah, it's real. It happens. I've been there. I've thought about it. And it's terrifying, right? It's terrifying to feel so bad. I can remember the times like there, I have visceral memories of the times that I was like thinking about killing myself, not not thinking about it in the planning and gathering equipment way, mm-hmm. but just like, oh, look, all the math that I can do in my head leads me to that same conclusion. And Mm -hmm. I know it's the wrong answer, but I just keep coming up with it. Mm -hmm. And those are the times I've been fortunate to get the help I needed. Um, But it is a terrible, terrible place to be. 
This is, uh, I've, I've written about this previously, but there was uh, one night I was in my studio and I was thinking, I don't know, maybe a year after Anthony Bourdain had killed himself and I didn't have mm-hmm. any, you know, connection to Anthony Bourdain. I'd watched his show a couple times, whatever, but like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know him. I started thinking about it and I started thinking, you know, like I was kind of justifying it. I didn't have a gun in my hand. I wasn't sobbing. I wasn't, you know, it was none of that, but I was like, my parents are going to be fine. My wife is going to be fine. And strangely, I thought about my friend's kid. I wasn't even, I wasn't even sad. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like inconsolable through this. It, it was all very, it was all very calm and very logical. And I thought about my friend's kid and, and I was like, well, you know, what, how's he going to respond? Like, well, he's, he's going to wonder where I am or where I went. And then there's going to be some people. But it was it was the thing that disturbed me the most was that it all just made sense. Yeah. And I thought. Like the only time this has ever crossed my mind, I thought maybe I need to go in to just for observation. But then, you know, they're going to 5150 me and then I'm going to be fucking stuck in the hospital. I'm going to be part of this in the system. So. What I did at that moment, and I maybe wrote about it that night or the next day, but it was like I made a promise to myself to just sleep on it, you know, like just go to bed. And if you wake up the next, you know, you wake up tomorrow and you can reassess this uh, conversation. And that is like, that's the ultimate honor that you can do for yourself is don't act impulsively. And if you're, if you're, if you find yourself in that situation, you find yourself having that conversation, it's a crossroads. That's what I referred to it as. It's a crossroads. And anybody who's never made it to that intersection before has no fucking idea what we're talking about. But anybody who has made it to that intersection and you can go left or you can go right, or you can just sleep there for the night and then, and then check it out the next day. Like just, just watch the sunrise the next day. That's the, the, the most, the most, the nicest thing that you can do for yourself. And it'll give you a little bit of a break, I think. And, um, sometimes that break is all people need. Things change. We all have that experience. Well, first of all, while you were talking, I just wanted to say that I bet there, the number of people, who have been at that crossroads are more than the people who haven't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that right. should say something about the stigma of mental health or, or, or mental illness or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, if you could identify with that, you know, <laughs> that tells you a lot. Um, the other thing is that, yeah, things change. I haven't, you know, I've, I have a lifetime of depression behind me, but I also have a lifetime of fantastic things happening. Mm hmm. Same. Right. Wheelies, slappies, punk rock shows. It's just all of it. You know, all of it. Like friends, family, lovers, uh, fucking pet animals, experiences. It's all, it's fucked. You know, and then it kind of becomes cliche because then you're saying like, oh, you know, think about, think about the good stuff. Because when you're in that pit, the, yeah. the good stuff doesn't matter. There's no right, flavor it doesn't or mean color anything, or substance right? to it. It's empty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you can't, sometimes you can't even take it day by day. You know, sometimes it's too much to do that. Sometimes you got to take it hour by hour. 
Yeah. Just trudge through the next 30 minutes, trudge yep. through the 30 minutes after that. God, I've, I've been there and it's so hard and you can't describe it to somebody who's never, who's never experienced it before. Yeah. But man, I well, get it. I have this story, this history with substance abuse. And what I learned is that for me, like drugs and alcohol were a means of escaping fear, discomfort, depression, whatever that was. And they actually worked really well uh, until they didn't. Until they right? didn't. Until they didn't. And so I'm lucky to have kind of rediscovered bikes and friends and all the other things that are also sort of escapist but things that build me up instead of tearing me down. Yeah. It's soon you're in the throes of a bender. It's really hard to, to tell what, what that's doing. You know, you can justify, you can justify it by saying that it's helping you out or it's, it's keeping you afloat or whatever. When in fact it's, yeah, it's kind of a hollow foundation. Well, that's the big lie of alcoholism. Like so many people are like, I need, Without this, I couldn't possibly get by. Mm -hmm. But actually, it's the thing that's creating all the difficulties for them. Mm -hmm. There would be nothing to get by, or there would be a lot less to get by. Yeah. But, but, um, yeah, I think as people, you know, when we're in those difficult moments, we want to feel like there is an avenue of escape. Well, that's, I mean, that's powerful, right? Yeah, because that's something, and when you're in that position, something is more comfortable to have within your grasp or in your sight than than right. nothing. Right. Um. God, I mean, we could we could go on about this for for ever. We didn't really get into any kind of bike stuff, but uh, you know, bikes are cool. They don't solve all the problems. It's a little a means to get out of your own head for a little while, or maybe kind of turn the screws on yourself for a little while. I think um, the bike is a good tool, right? The bike produces endorphins. It produces dopamine. It's, it, it is a good tool. I don't know if there's pharmaceutical grade bicycle riding. I don't know about that. I don't know if there's biofeedback level bicycle riding. You know, sometimes I think I go out and beat myself up on the bike in an attempt to rewire what's going on or just to drive the demons out. Right. We all have that yeah. sort of cathartic thing. It doesn't, I mean, sometimes it works and sometimes it, it doesn't. I don't think it's, I, in my experience, you can't rely on just that. You're trying to replace one sort of pain with another sort of pain. I mean, mm. I, that's how, that's how I look at it. Like I've got all of this pain in my head and my heart and I'm going to exchange it for at least a little while with physical pain because they say you can't feel pain in two places at once. Like your brain doesn't recognize oh, yeah. it. Yeah. So if you have a headache, you hit your thumb with a hammer kind of thing. I always do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, you know, we've been there. It's not the, uh, in, in episodes past, maybe last episode, uh, we talked about, you know, kind of, reclaiming the joy of being a kid in a vacant lot. Yeah, that and was episode one. Actually, I, that, I, I, I did want to bring that one? up. I think that was episode one. I thought that was, what, a sixth or seventh? Whatever. No, last, I don't know what the last one was now. music. It's all related. It's all, the, the, 
If you're listening oh, at home, right. this is the same episode over and over with different, <laughs> the same thoughts with different topics. <laughs> you know what? Like loud music, I always think, I don't know how to express how angry or sad I am. So let, I'm going to put the, I'm going to put this music on and let them do it for me. I'm going to let somebody else take, do the, do the heavy lifting. Yeah. Uh, you know, what was super cool is I kind of pushed whatever this, the second episode that was, that was published. Mm. And, um, and, uh, the Gary Fisher, his, his, his weirdness. I always say, why, when I, I see him, I take pictures and I'm like, Oh, I ran into Tom Ritchie and everybody (laughs) flips out and corrects me. (laughs) He thinks it's funny, (laughs) but, uh, I posted a thing on Twitter and he, that, 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 the good cat that he is, he, he reposted it. Um, so anybody who is maybe listening to this on Gary Fisher's recommendation, uh, his wardrobe and his mustache and robot and I all thank you. Let's wrap it up there, huh? Yeah, man. So if you're out there and you're hurting, get some help. Get some goddamn help. Don't be, don't be fucking stupid and don't be a hero. Don't be stupid and don't be a hero and get some goddamn help as we understand it's not as easy as getting some goddamn help. But right. um, There are online therapists. There are Google biofeedback, Google, Google uh, uh, somatic healers. Um, If you have insurance, look in network. Uh, It might not be it might not be a fix, but at least you will have some kind of. Uh, life preserver and like i said it's not always you're not always gonna hit it out of the park with your first attempt but it will um, allow you to sort of begin to have that conversation and to begin to navigate the process and um you know it's as cliche as it sounds uh, every journey really does begin with a step and and this is a this is a big journey I'm on uh, and I'll be on for the rest of my life. I think this robot can say the same. Um, so like I said, you know, if you're hurting, um, don't make any rash decisions. Just, you know, give yourself an hour, give yourself four hours, give yourself a night's sleep. Uh, Invest the time and the energy in, in getting better in taking care of yourself. Cause it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Be who, be your best, be your friend, you know, be your best friend. Mm. You talk to yourself like you would talk to your friend or your family. You know, I think there's, I mean, there's so many, there's so many ways of putting it. Uh, but it's, uh, I, you know, honestly, bottom line is like, I didn't want to become a statistic. I've yeah. spent my whole life trying to be different. And then I didn't want to be just another fucking clown right. who did himself in. So uh well thank you for your time again robot it's always a pleasure thank you everybody for listening we'll catch you next episode love you